you will, this morning, turn with me to our text that's found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, verse 22. It's Luke 15, verse 22. But the Father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, how glorious Thou art. O oh Lord, how great Thou art. How merciful Thou art. What a loving Father You are to Thy children. What a merciful Father You are to Thy children. O oh Lord, I pray that in this hour You would show us the depth of Thy grace, the depth of Thy love, that you would reveal to us, Lord, that you are indeed the Lord of life, the Lord of repentance, the Lord of forgiveness. O Lord, to thee be all glory, great things, Lord, thou hast done. And may you be pleased to bring us now to thy feet to be instructed as thou art pleased to draw, drop crumbs from thy table. In Jesus' name I pray. Our text this morning, Luke 15, 22. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. How great is God's gift of repentance. And I said it that way because I believe it that way. The repentance that God gives his children is a great gift. We have for us today, as many of you, when we read the text, know that it comes from the prodigal, the parable on the prodigal son. We're going to look at that a little bit today. But I was thinking about the words of the Lord, and I thought about what he taught in this parable of how rare it is, how rare repentance is. Not what the world calls repentance. Not what Esau had with repentance. Not the things that we might even call repentance. But when the Lord does repentance in the soul, and when He goes out and He gets His sheep, it is truly a merciful and gracious act of love, which all the heavens rejoice in. And that's where we'll start today. We won't even start the parable. We'll start the beginning of the parable. Because that's, I mean, the beginning of the chapter. In chapter 15, it says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. Publicans and sinners. The dredge of society, so to speak. They wanted to hear the voice of Christ. They had seen many miracles. They had heard many astounding things. They were drawn to Him. And as they came to Him, there was another group there. The Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. What a great gospel that is. I thank God for that statement right there, that that statement is true. That this man, the Lord Jesus Christ, received sinners. I hope and pray this morning that you see yourself in that camp, the camp of the sinner. 
the camp of the publican, the one in, in dire need of being saved, and not the high religious man who sits and looks at those who have spots and looks at those that's, that are sinners and sits in their high-mindedness to look down upon them. That's what Jesus was facing at this time. And when he heard these things, he spoke this parable unto them, saying this. And this is the first one of three. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost, until he find it? And when he had found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. When he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice for me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Verse 7. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. So that statement I made at the beginning where it seems as though true repentance is a rare thing, we have that backed up here. But this beginning of this, these three parables, this first one this describes Christ as our great shepherd. It describes Him as the one who goes out and gets the lost sheep, who goes out and gets the backsliding sheep, who goes out and finds wherever He is. And He brings Him to Himself and He puts Him around His neck in a great act of love. And He brings Him back into the fold. And we're told that when that takes place, when repentance is given and granted, when that takes place that the heavens are rejoicing and all joy is given in heaven over what was done. Think about that a minute. The second parable, which is very short, depicts for us the work of the Holy Ghost. Either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, Doth not light a candle and sweep the house? Is that not the work of the Holy Ghost? To illuminate, to shine light upon what Christ has done? To convict the sinner of sin? To show him that he is in need of salvation and the blood applied to his conscience, to his understanding, to know that he is one of God's sheep? Seeking diligently till she find it. And when she is found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Listen to this. Likewise I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. So we see the effectual working of this gift. When the Lord gives that gift, it is in conjunction with the will of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost in bringing sinners to Him. And all of heaven rejoices. It is a great gift of God. Peter said it this way in Acts 5.31. He said, Him hath God exalted with His right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. He has been exalted. He has had the preeminence that the Father has given Him to give repentance and forgiveness of sins. Paul said it this way in Acts 20, 21. 
testifying himself both to the Jews and to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And you will see today that those two things always work hand in hand. Repentance given and his faith to receive it. And then Paul would write in Romans 2.4, one of my most favorite verses, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? So much today is geared toward the work of man in repentance. So much we hear from the pulpits today is exhorting man, or as they believe there's some John the Baptist or something, telling everybody to repent. But as we've seen this morning already, we see the gift of repentance is something God gives. The sinner will repent. Absolutely. He will repent in the day of the Lord's power. It's the goodness of God to give that gift. It's the great mercy of God to give it. Now today, until we read down to our text, I'm just going to go ahead and start and make some observations about this parable. And he said, verse 11, A certain man had two sons. For brevity's sake, this morning, we're going to concentrate on the first son. And the younger of them said to his father, and that's the first son, the younger one, he said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. Now, it's an amazing thing. Usually, how this works is when the father passes away, his inheritance is left to his children. But there's an entitlement here. You see that today. Man feels like he's always entitled and he always knows what's best for him. This one would be no different. He surveyed his life and he said, you know, what would be best for me is if I took all the riches that my father's going to give me even though I'm told to wait for that time, I'm not going to wait for that time. I want it now. I want everything now. I'm young and I have my whole life ahead of me and I'm going to chart my course. So he goes to the Father and he says to him, Divide, give me all the goods that belong to me. For I'm wise. I know what to do with. And notice the end of verse 12. He divided unto them his living. The father suffered him. He suffered him. That speaks volumes to me. The long-suffering of this father, the long-suffering of the Lord, who added in his great providence and in his great will allows his children. We just sang that song. I was a wandering sheep. We wander many times in this life. We wander to greener pastures and we wander to things that we think are better for us. You say, well, couldn't the Lord prevent that? Absolutely. Does He prevent it? There's many more times you'll see one day when you are known as you are known. You will understand the depth of the Lord's preserving grace in your life. We don't see it as much now. But there are times that we are suffered to explore the depth of the depravity in our hearts, the depth of the lust of our souls, to desire things that are not good for us. And as we read in 12, he divided. He gave it to him. He said, here it is. And we notice there's no speech with it. We know that there's no um, 
restrictions put upon it. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all that his father gave him. And he took his journey into a far country. He went as far away from the one who had taught him all his life. He went away from the one that he thought that, that in many parts of his life had the greatest comfort. He went away. He said, I don't want this one to reign over me at this time. I'm going to go away. And I'm much better off than I ever was because now I have so many riches. And when I go out into that world, that world has something for me. And when I go out there in that world, the world will receive me. And when I go out there in that world, that world will love me. Because I have something. I have a name now that I have power behind it. I have riches behind it. And he went to a far country. He went as far as what he believed would be out of his father's sight. And that's what we do in our carnal nature. We run away from that which we know is right. Because we always believe there's something that we think is better for us or we know better than God does. So he took all and he took his journey into a far country and there he wasted his substance with riotous living. Oh boy, did he live it up. He ate, drank, and he, and he was very merry. And he lived carpe diem. He seeds the day. He lived for today. He lived for everything. And that day, for the joy, the fun, and everything that was there. And he thought that was his new God in his life. And he worshipped it day in and day out. What's the next activity? What's the next thing I can do to satisfy me? But something happened. Because he was a child of God. Many outside of Christ live this way every day and they perish. And many bad things happen, what I call bad things, the end of their life, the destitution, the mental craziness, whatever you want to call it. But this one now in this mind that seems to be altered, does it not? as he seems to be finding a or seeking something better than anything he ever had. And he went out and he wasted his substance with riotous living. And then verse 14, one of the most precious verses. And when he had spent all, everything he had was stripped from him. You say, oh, no, no, no. He, he spent it all. Well, I got news for you. God's providence put all of those things in His life. He brought all of those people to Him that this one wasted all of His, life, all of his substance on. And He wasted everything and He spent everything that He had because we must be stripped of everything that we depend upon. And everything this person had has now been taken from him. He's lost it all. What is he going to do? What is he going to do when we're first brought into that stripping room, when the Lord starts to strip us of that self-reliance and he starts to strip us of that self-will 
And he starts to strip us of that, that creature reliance where we rely upon ourselves for things. And he starts to strip us of that desire to live of self. There arose a mighty famine. The Lord brought that famine as He stripped this one that it was His child. As He started to strip him, He brought a famine. He brought the providential grace in the life of this child. And brought him to wear a time in his life now as He as he started to seek out something to save him, the Lord took everything around him away from him. He brought famine. So there were no jobs. There was no food. There was nothing that he could rely on as a creature. As he could spin with his own hands, as he could make with his own hands, the Lord took it all away. This is that shepherd that goes out and finds the, the lost sheep and brings him home. And the first story that we had, the first parable we had, he just put him around his neck. And that's so he couldn't wander anymore. And that's what we see here. The famine, the dearth, the, the spending of everything is the shepherd putting the sheep around his neck so that sheep can't wander anymore. But the depth of the Lord's work and stripping is not quite done yet. There's still that mind working. There's still that uneasiness. There's still that I can do something to better myself. There arose a mighty famine in that land and he began to be in want. He began to desire. He began to, to look around and saw that he had nothing. Nothing. It was stripped from him. You know, I, I can't even start to put myself in this place material-wise. Because as many in this room, we have been blessed with many things of the Lord. And I often wonder when I read things like this, because I, I slip back in my carnal mind and I say, Oh Lord, how would I react like this? How would I react if I lost all the things that I, that I use as crutches in this life? How would I react? And that righteousness in me says, oh, well, I, I would seek the Lord. He would be enough for me. And I can only say that to you today in the depth of grace if it's the Lord's work. If the Lord is stripping me, if the Lord is peeling away those things that I depend upon, then rest assured that faithful is he that has started that work, he will finish it. And he will bring his children to, them, to him. And he began to be in want. That means he's starting to be desirous to get out of where he's at. But what did he do? Did he cry out to the Lord? Not yet. Not yet. This is all going on in the mind. What can I do? What can I hurry myself to do? And he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country. That far away country. That world that he took all of his goods and he said, this world will treat me better. And he went and he took everything that he, uh, and everything that he had in his mind and he said, you know what? I'm going to join myself to you and I'm going to look to you to save me. A person in the world. And 
And that citizen sent him into his fields to feed his swine. You say, well, what a horrible act. Well, he gave him a job. He says, here's what I have for you. Feed my pigs. Not a table set for him. Not any forgiveness. Not any mercy. Not anything like that. You, it's your fault. You wasted your life. Go feed my pigs. Do you marvel at that? Do you marvel that the world could be that way? John said not to marvel at that in 1 John 3.13. He said, marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. They hated Christ first. And that's the thing. As he joined himself, the Lord said, you think I'm going to allow you to live upon the world anymore? As you're wandering away again and you, you decide to, to go to the world for comfort? Feed my pigs. But where else could he go? What else could he do? So he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. He looked down at that food that the pigs had and he said, wow, that's starting to look pretty good to me. I haven't had any food. I haven't had anything. And those empty husks, and that's the, that's the empty husks of religion. Oh, that's the empty husk of this world. The prosperity religion and all that false garbage that's out there in many forms that would take the mind and the heart of the child of God and say, follow me. Here's your empty husks. Don't those look good to you? And if the Lord doesn't come and say and reveal the bread of heaven that came down from heaven, we will be left there to suffer walking that way and eating empty husks. In this parable, he is about to have deliverance. He's about to get deliverance. Many times in a child of God's life, we don't know how long the Lord suffers us to wander. What is the depth of the stripping that must take place? What is the depth of the reliance of things that we have in this life that the Lord has His ways in to take those reliances away? So he looked and he looked at the husk and the swine did eat and no man gave unto him. There was no man around to say, here, I'll give this to you. Oh, here, here's my benevolence. So he turned to the pigs and he turned to man. And now throughout the scriptures we hear this ringing endorsement and the ringing truth of the word says they must all be taught of God. You and I today, we can't turn to man. The Lord brings us. He draws all men unto Him. And that's what you see here. And when He came to Himself. Oh, wow. How, how did that happen? Did He reason it? Are you kidding me? He's just reasoning that the husks are starting to look pretty good. How does one come to the end of himself this way. We've already seen him join himself to citizens. We've seen him go towards man. We've seen him out with the pigs. We know he doesn't have sound logic. We know that this one 
can't think properly. We know that that's what sin and lust of the flesh does. It takes us away from Christ. So what is it that brings us back? The depth of sovereign, irresistible grace. The depth of the Lord's grace to say, there's bread for you. Listen to this. He would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? Bread. There's bread in my father's house. There is a place that I can flee to. He never wanted that place. He didn't desire that place. He desired to go as far away from that place, but now he desires it. Who did that? Who did that? All of us that desire to put the crown on man's head all the time, we're faced with these, these searching passages to see what we're capable of and then what the depth of grace overrules. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. When he came to himself, he said, what did he remember? My father has bread. The bread of life. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus is teaching. That's what repentance is. That there is forgiveness with Christ. That it's Christ's blood that covers the multitude of my transgressions. It is Christ who has taken the sting of death and, the, and, the, and He's fulfilled the law and He's put away all my sin. How do we get there? How do we get there? We're joined to the world. We're looking for the world for an answer. We're looking at man. And the Lord just comes with that almighty power. Thy people will be willing in the day of His power. And all of a sudden, he's willing to go home. He's willing to go back to that place. That place that he was taught where comfort is, where bread is, where life is. That's the whole point. Life is there. Where I'm at now is not life. It's death. That's what he said. I'm perishing with hunger. That's what the Lord brings our soul. Lord, I'll die without your son. I'll die without that bread. Every day is like that. We need to feed upon Christ daily. And he is faithful to do so. He brings his children to the word. If you're not in the word every day, there's a deficiency in you. Something is going on in you that says, I want to join myself to the citizens of this world. When the Lord does it, this is how pure it is. It's not mixed with anything man does. It's the purity of grace. It's the power of grace. How many hired servants? Who brought this to his remembrance? It's the Holy Spirit. He testifies of Christ. He testifies and says, Christ is the bread of life. Oh, 
my father has bread. And that's not all. This is the, it's not going empty handed. I mean, you have nothing. Yes. But the Lord now gives him something. Repentance. Listen to this. I will arise and go to my father. And I will say unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee. Where did this come from? From above. It's the goodness of God that leads his children to repentance. And it is the faith of the Son of God that receives it and apprehends it and says, yes, this is from my Lord. This is from my Father. This is from the Son of God who is my life. I will arise and go to my Father because faith is action faith. It's powerful. And it brings the child of God to his Lord. Crying out, I'll rise and I'll go to my Father and I'll say to him, I've sinned against heaven and before thee. And he arose and he came to his Father. But when he was yet a great way off, his Father saw him. And had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him because there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Hold your finger here and turn back to Psalm 51 a minute. We know Psalm 51, don't we? David, the Holy Spirit put this upon David's heart to write after he had committed murder, adultery, all these wicked sins and premeditated sins, the things we'd look at the dredges of this society and say, you're not forgiven of that. Get away from me. But the Lord gave him repentance. That's what we read here. Have mercy upon me. O God, according to thy loving kindness, According to your mercy, Lord, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. It's because of his mercy that we're not consumed. It's because of the depth of his mercy that he forgives and he draws his children to him. But David had to suffer famine too. David had a son taken from him. And the Lord brought David to pen this psalm. Wash me thoroughly. Because see, when a sinner is revealed that he's a sinner, he wants to be washed in the depth of his mind and his heart thoroughly. Cleanse me, Lord, of those secret sins. They're secret to all of you out there, but they're not secret to me. I know the depth of of the things that come into my mind that I would be horrified to share with you. Cleanse me, Lord, from that. Cleanse me from all those things that lie so deep in my wickedness that lies so deep within me. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge, now I do, Now, Lord, you've done a work of grace in my soul. I didn't acknowledge it to begin with. I did whatever I wanted to do. I'm king. 
I have all power. This son felt like he was king. He had all power. He had all these riches. I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Do you see the difference between the Lord's work and ours? Our, our partial or our, our, our asking people to forgive us or whatever when we've got all these thoughts in our mind. Well, I'm, I really don't need to be forgiven, but I'm going to ask. Or, oh, this person did this horrible sin against me. Boy, the Lord's work is different, isn't it? It's pure, isn't it? It's all about the Lord. It's all about what the Lord's done. And the child of God is brought to exclaim what the Lord has done. This is what the Lord has done. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. David was worried. He said, you know, Lord, it's against you sinned against Bathsheba. You sinned against Uriah. But when you're brought into the fellowship with the Lord, the Lord reveals to you, you've sinned against His goodness. You've sinned against His grace. You've sinned against His holiness. Against Thee, Lord, and Thee only have I sinned. Lord, You, You should be justified, not me. Lord, You should be cleared I've brought this stain upon you. My sin, I've done this against you and your perfect work on the cross. That's what he brings the sinner to see in true repentance. I've done it against you, Lord. I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Is that an excuse David gives? No, it's a fact. I've been a sinner since the time that I've been shaping in iniquity in my mother's womb. Lord, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. I don't know it, Lord, without you. I can't come to myself. I need to be brought to your house. I need to be brought to your table. And then we have purge me, make me, create in me, restore, deliver me. I'll leave the rest of that psalm to you to read as the Lord leads you as we go back to our text now in Luke 15. And we saw how the Father received the sinner. This man receiveth sinners. Jesus says, Amen. Yes, I do. And the Son said unto him, verse 21, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. You know, when the Lord reveals the goodness and the depth of his grace, he reveals our unworthiness of it. Oh, what a merciful Lord. What a depth of mercy. But, dear ones, the whole point of this message today is how good and how great this repentance is. It comes with gifts. It comes with not just the iniquity being pardoned, not just the Lord covering it with His blood, 
come to our text. And the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe. Now you and I know that the best robe must be the righteousness of Christ. He is the Lord our righteousness. Isaiah said we have righteousnesses and they're filthy rags. I hope the Lord has shown you that. Bring forth the best robe. Now they had a tradition at their time that when they had a feast or a par- uh, the, the, the guest of honor would always receive the best robe. The elect children of God are the guest of honor. And they receive the greatest gifts that could ever be given. The first one mentioned is the righteousness of Christ. Bring forth the best robe and put it on Him. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. He puts it upon us. Not that robe that, we're, that we have that is tattered and torn. And This robe covers from head to toe. It's the righteousness of Christ that when the Father looks at us, He sees the righteousness of His Son, the perfect obedience of His Son, the holiness of His Son, the righteousness, the goodness of His Son. That's the depth of the best robe. That's how good this robe is. This is how great this robe is. The psalmist David said it this way, Psalm 5, 8, Lead me, O Lord, in Thy righteousness. Because of mine enemies, make thy way straight before my face. Lead me in your righteousness. Paul said it this way in Philippians 3, 9. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness. We have that, our own righteousness. What Paul said, which is of the law. It's that legal obedience. It's that legal have to. It's that legal must to. It's that got to do. It's that I'm doing this for God. Lord, strip me of that. Put thy robe upon me. But that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. That's the right. The righteousness of Christ. Well, what did he do to deserve that? Nothing. It's a gift. It's a gift to every child of God. And as He gave the gift of repentance and He brought this one low, He stripped Him of everything and then clothed Him with the righteousness of Christ. If that's not all, He put a ring on His hand. A ring is a never-ending circle. It is everlasting. We think of when men and women get married and the ring is given. It's a, it's a token of everlasting love. But this is a token of everlasting, the everlasting Father, the everlasting Son, the everlasting Holy Spirit. We are told of the everlasting love in Jeremiah 31.3, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. The ring represents the everlasting love of Christ. But that's not all. It's His everlasting mercy. David said in Psalm 100, verse 5, 
For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And His truth endureth to all generations. That's not all. It's everlasting life, which John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But that's not all. It's everlasting peace and consolation. 2 Thessalonians 2.16 says, Now our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and has given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. That's what the ring is. It's a symbolic of the everlasting presence of the Lord with His people. I am ever with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. My love is your love. My peace is your peace. My faith is your faith. My righteousness is your righteousness. This is what we have in Christ Jesus. And if that's not enough, and shoes on His feet, what are the shoes for but to keep and protect and to show us the way? Christ is, is the way. We're, we're told in Ephesians that the, the feet are shod with the gospel of peace. The preparation... Well, let me just read it. I think I have it here. Yeah, Ephesians 6, 15. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. What is the gospel? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's His life in the soul. It's the good news of Christ for His people. It's the bread in this wilderness that we're in. He's the water of life in this thirsty place. He is everything to the child of God. Put shoes on his feet and show him that you are the way. Jesus said, I, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, John 14, 6. I am the truth and I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's one way. I am that way. So in this great gift of repentance, the Lord reveals to us his righteousness, his love, his peace, his long suffering, and his way. He shows us the way. That's not when he, when he gives us repentance, he shows us what way pleases him. He's not left to us, leaves us to it to figure it out. He is the way. That is the greatness of the gift of Christ in repentance. And bring hither the fatted calf. And kill it. Because there must be the shedding of blood for the remission of sins. And let us eat and partake upon the sacrifice that is Christ. And be merry. For this my son was dead. And he's alive again. Alive again. He's been quickened. He was lost and he's found. And they began to be merry. You know what this is? It's reconciliation. It's the Lord seeking His children and bringing them to Himself. Turn with me today as we'll end now in 2 Corinthians 5.
2 Corinthians 5:17. 